My guest today is Kalpana Alejandra Arias. She is a tech philosopher, climate activist, podcast host, and ecosomatics educator. I first experienced Kalpana's healing presence during a conscious social media method group program where she was one of the very first people to take it when I launched it in 2019. And since then, I've had a healing session with her. I did some consulting for her in terms of social media, and it's been so beautiful to witness her blossom into the beautiful work that she does today. Some of the things we discuss is what it was like to grow up in Colombia and then move to Houston as a child, bringing indigenous perspectives to technology, business, and branding, forming a relationship with nature through your body, rituals of connecting to the land you're on and your ancestral roots, walking a path of remembering, how Kalpana became a disciple of Ama, the hugging saint, and what her name means, what it's like to spend time at Ama's ashram in India, living a life of devotion and bringing it everywhere you go. And in the end, we also talk about merging timelines, so make sure you listen to the very end. I am back at my home in New York with an all-new podcast setup. I just posted about it on my stories and will be adding the link to this microphone and the boom arm to the resources page on kseniabrief.com because it is an absolute game changer. And I'm just so grateful to be healthy, to be back home. Eric and I ended up spending almost four weeks in Russia instead of the planned 10 days. And it was quite an exercise in trusting the divine reroute, trusting the path and being with what is. This interview was the last one I recorded from Moscow on my last night there. And then after this conversation, I had the craziest dreams about being in Brazil and hunting down snakes. If you know what that means, please let me know. In the meantime, I'll be checking out my friend Alison Charles's Power Animal book to see what the snake animal totem is interpreted as from a metaphysical perspective. I'm thinking about recording a solo episode about my Russian trip because there were some really deeply meaningful full circles that came through for me. And maybe there's something there, some medicine for you as well, because I got a pretty clear message to share the journey. I also had my final mentorship call with my mentor, Michelle Sine, within the container that we did of six months. And interestingly enough, in the summer, I also did the closing of the mastermind I was leading in Russia. And it was very clear to me that it needed to happen in Russia, that the mastermind closing and the container with Michelle both needed to happen in Russia. There's some deep remembering and accepting of my ancestry, where I come from, my family. And I'm still digesting, but I feel like if I just sit down with a mic and I create a ceremonial space and I make a cup of cacao, which I didn't have with me on this trip for the first time, I didn't bring my cacao and I really deeply was called to the medicine and I missed it. So maybe I'll make a cup of cacao and record a solo episode. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Kalpana. I am going to read the full bio because she's just up to so many cool projects that I feel called to share with you. The platform that Kalpana started nowadays on Earth advocates for Earth body and connectedness to the Earth as a response to our global deprivation of green spaces and the need for contact with nature. Nowadays on Earth is a research-led media platform working at the intersection of ecosomatics, technology, and design to catalyze ecosystem-based solutions for our climate crisis. They have worked with communities throughout Colombia, India, and the UK and have a network of over a thousand members. Alongside Nowadays on Earth, Kalpana specializes in developing progressive brands through an intuitive art direction and eco-conscious approach to marketing. She is currently the communications director at Force of Nature and has consulted across industries in arts, environment, fashion, technology, and wellness implementing regenerative principles into creative strategies. Enjoy this conversation with Kalpana Arias and if you feel inspired, Share your takeaways and tag at Ksenia.brief and at Nowadays on Earth. I would love to see what you are moved by. And a special shout out to the sponsors of the show. I am so grateful to be able to share with you products that I've been using for a long time 
that I love, adore, and my intention is that they add some value to your life as well. This podcast was made on Zencaster. I am so excited to share that one of my favorite products of all time is now sponsoring the show. If you're looking to support your adrenal health and keep your hormones in balance, you've got to know about Rasa. Rasa is an adaptogenic coffee alternative with an incredible blend of herbs, adaptogens, and mushrooms. It gives you energy without the jitters, and it tastes really good. There are 10 Rasa flavors and functions, and each blend is formulated to support your nervous system, help you stress less, give you balanced energy through the day, and get better sleep. Adaptogens are most effective when consumed regularly and consistently, which means you can get your daily dose of adaptogens while enjoying a beautiful morning or evening ritual. I'm all about it. Here's the cool thing about Rasa. You can replace some of your coffee intake with it, or even mix it 50-50 with coffee if you wish. I recently started feeling anxious after drinking coffee, and as soon as I switched my coffee for Rasa a few days a week, my calm energy was back. My favorite Rasa flavors are spicy rose cacao, of course, which connects you to your body and sensuality, and Super Happy Sunshine, their joy blend that supports an uplifted mood. All Rasa blends are formulated in-house by clinical herbalists, and the ingredients are organic, sustainably sourced, and fair trade or direct trade. Rasa is fanatical about responsible sourcing, which is one of the reasons I recently became an investor into the company. There's a special offer to my listeners right now. To get started, you get 20% off your first purchase at wearerasa.com with code Xenia20. That's W-E-A-R-E-R-A-S-A dot com, and the code is K-S-E-N-I-A 20. You can find that link in the show notes. May this be of highest service to anyone who is meant to receive it and may it expand both of our hearts as we connect and share and co-create. Kalpana, welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. This has been a long time coming. And to begin, I would love you to speak a little bit to the Nowadays on Earth Instagram bio. It says, experiential technology influencing regenerative practices to rediscover our connection to nature in the digital age. Just right there, I love it so much. It's such an important topic. And you know how much I love talking about merging our inner technology with outer technology and bringing in mindfulness and nature into our conversation about business and branding and marketing. And you put it all together so eloquently. So what exactly is nowadays on earth and what are your personal days filled with as you work on this beautiful project? That's a really great question. I know it's a lot to take in as well. I feel like there's like a lot in there to to really digest and sort of marinate in. Nowadays on Earth is is really kind of analyzing and reflecting on our relationship to nature as it is nowadays and thinking about what our connection to the natural world is in the digital age, especially with the growth of technology and urbanization. And oftentimes, from my point of view, and in the way that I see modern day culture continue to sort of evolve, I feel like there's this space within ourselves that wants to, that is sort of like in play and in conversation with what technology is and what it really means. I think there's a part within our human consciousness that wants to resist technology and what it means in our lives. And at the same time, we're surrounded by it day by day, and it continues to grow. So it's this constant like play and exploration of that dynamic, but also getting to the root of what technology really is, which is nature itself, right? It's creation, like, or what is organic technology, and really exploring those means. So I think, I don't know if that really answers the question, but it's like, my day-to-day is kind of filled with all of these concepts and and really thinking about these observations in a very deep existential way because it's about reanalyzing the way that we live and how we connect to each other and the earth. Yeah, you opened up such a big portal with this and I'm excited to touch on a lot of the topics that you just mentioned. And you're right, what I've also noticed is that 
in our society would tend to write off technology, write off social media, write off certain ways of doing business because of the old ways we as society are, are used to approaching them. But there's no really pushing anything away that is growing so rapidly. It's more about bringing new approaches to them. And I know you speak a lot about bringing indigenous perspectives to social media and branding and technology. What does that mean? And how does that look like? It's a really good question. I mean, for me, this has been such a, such a journey, diving into my own ancestral wisdom and creating a space for listening. And what I've learned in the process is that technology and our connection to it is so inherent because it is all around us. The way that creation functions, both life emerging in and out of itself, every moment and every second, within that there's a programming, a deeper conscious programming of what life and existence is. And with true indigenous perspective, being able to view the world around you and observe. In that observation, we can start to envision and really see like the consciousness that is within everything. And that's where if we're looking at technology as a mirror for like the deeper consciousness of the world, that's where the two really come to play. And, and I find that that's a really exciting space to sort of observe and to be in because it's really where you get to co-create and to dream collectively. And oftentimes within indigenous cultures, we talk about the dream worlds and dreaming and the power of, of the collective dream. And this is what they're touching on essentially. It's really like the fabric of creation. And it comes through observation, like direct observation of what is around you and what is in your environment, which is also why sort of one of the essential practices that is within nowadays is ecosomatics, because it requires a very direct observation between body and the environment. So what exactly do you mean when you say ecosomatics, number one? And number two, nature is a technology itself. So ecosomatics is a term that's been coined like in the 1980s, but it's existed throughout time because of the way that indigenous cultures respond and live in within their environment. So it's, it's a way of living that is inherent to every single human being. And it's the intersection between the body, the environment, and so the lived experience of the body and the environment around you. And nature as technology itself is looking at sort of the process within creation. What are the pathways required in order for creation to be born into form? So from consciousness, from energy into manifestation and into like the physical space that we exist. And, you know, it's something that I still explore every day. So I don't have a solid definition because I think that's where the power is, is in the fluidity of being able to, to understand that it doesn't exist within like a certain definition, but it's very fluid in its being. And like, that's the magic, right? That's like technology, creation, magic. They're all synonyms for each other. I love that. And what about nature being technology itself? What is the story of that approach? You know, taking, I know you've spoken about transforming our technophobia to working together with nature. What does that practically look like? Mm, practically, it looks like having a relationship with nature, right? I mean, we think about technology if we think about like one of the definitions and technology has many definitions, but one of the definitions of technology of it being a pathway, a pathway to bridge and to connect one from the other. And we look at the internet as a technology, a pathway to connect one place within the ethers into another. And then if we think about us as human beings and the space around us, 
the earth that is around us, our environments, whether that's like our, the garden space in our backyard or the pots within our house or just, you know, a paved street in front of our roads. What is the connection there? What is the pathway? And practically, it just involves having a relationship with it. So not objectifying something as like something that is outside of you, but like really finding a sense of, of connection and an openness, right? Because in order to connect, you need to have a sense of curiosity and openness within yourself to then reach out and extend that to wherever it is that you're directing your attention to. I love that. And as you spoke, I saw this invisible web. You know, when we think about technology, the actual definition is the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes, especially in industry and machinery and equipment developed from application of specific knowledge. It's so interesting because the way you described it, I saw all of these invisible connections, you know, when you were in a conversation with someone and you're moved by something, it is this invisible technology, this invisible connection that at this point we can't measure most of the time, but in the future we probably will. And I can see how the same way our invisible connection to nature, the way we can be charged by it, the way we can give anything that doesn't serve us back to Gaia and allow it to compost it. All of these things are technologies and the fact that we can't quantify it or explain it fully, although that's changing rapidly, which is exciting. I totally see how we can completely see technology from a different perspective. And that's super exciting. Yeah, I love that. And when we think about connection, like obviously we're thinking about it from like the subjective perspective of like, what am I connecting to? But oftentimes like there's that other side of the relationship, you know, it's a reciprocal engagement. And what we're getting is like a sensory experience. And within the sensory experience of what we're receiving, that's information, that's the wisdom, that's the knowledge in which like technology as a pathway is infusing upon you, upon your body. So that's kind of the, that explorative space of seeing nature as technology, especially when you form a relationship to it. So as I'm forming a relationship to, you know, the plants around me or <laughs> the, or, or my garden space or the park or the trees that I see every day, what is the knowledge? What is the information that is being communicated through that connection, through that technological connection? Are there any particular rituals or prompts that you can offer me and the listeners when it comes to, you know, walking by a park or forming that relationship with your houseplant? Is there actually something you're thinking or feeling or a ritual you're creating around it to actually become present to establishing that observation and connection? Mm, that's a really great question. And I'm going to bring it back to the body because, again, that's been my experience. And that's also, that's also I think, the most accessible one <laughs> that we can have because we all have a body at least. I think. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the way that we can, when we start forming relationships, I think that's actually how we open up our sensory experience because we're opening our, our sort of psychic abilities, which everyone has. And it's just like, how open do we want to be to the sensory experience that is around us? And it requires you to sort of tune in to yourself and your system. I really personally really like starting in my midline and focusing on my spine. And again, I'm sure, you know, these, if you practice the yogic traditions, you'll have sort of resonance in that and the spine is like a connection to the earth and into your grounding cord but thinking about the specifically once you I mean I'll invite you to do this practice with me now if you'd like Ksenia. I would love that <laughs> so if you feel able to you can close your eyes but you also don't have to close your eyes and you can just drop into the midline of your body really feeling the back of your spine. Taking a deep breath, feeling your ribcage expand, feel it expand horizontally. And as you exhale, feel that drawing in, that curling in into this gravitational pull that you might be feeling in your abdomen. And then taking another deep breath, feeling that 
horizontal expansion of the rib cage. And then as you exhale, you can again drop deeper into your spine and maybe sensing into the sacral area into the S2. So a little lower in your spine where you put the back of your hand on your sacrum into that sort of area and space. And it's this point, this gravitational pull is the connection to earth and to space. So your breath is a really key anchor into the moment for you to receive whatever connections are around you. So you can use your breath, you can use that directional connection and awareness into the spine and each time sort of engaging deeper. And then with whatever is in your space, in your environment, in your surroundings, you start breathing that into your experience as well. And then start to notice any sensations that arise through your body. So these are the sort of communications or links that are trying to arrive into your system. The environment around you is communicating with your body, through your breath, through your spine. The language is different. And this is kind of what I term as like opening up a dialogue between the body and the land, the land around you. So you can choose to do this practice outside or in your house. But wherever you are, you're still connecting to space. You're, you're connecting to the area in which you're grounding yourself into. So that's a little sample of like of the practice itself. But it does take, you know, focus and engagement and also a calling. Like you'll, you're going to want to, you need to feel open to being able to receive this practice. And to maybe end up crying like me, my, my <laughs> eyes actually filled up with tears when you said connect with the land, because I'm in the city center of Moscow, which is a very, very busy city, very loud. And there's something going on in every corner. There's so many stores, there's so many cars, everything's always moving and open 24 seven. And when you said connect to the land, I had this dropping in beyond all of the noise and into the powerful portal that the city is. And I don't know if I've ever connected to it before. And so interesting, today we were finalizing our two-week quarantine. So exciting after spending two weeks in a cabin, which was such a gift and a blessing that my parents had this cabin and we could stay there for a couple of weeks. And as I was packing up and preparing to leave, what came to me was this calling to thank the land and say goodbye to the land. And it's such a simple practice. And with me also, what I recently discovered that also really helps is also asking for permission. So before I do any ritual on the land or I burn some, you know, sacred incense or I plan something, I don't always remember to do it. But when I do, it establishes such a beautiful moment of connection to all of the knowledge and all of the wisdom that came before me and that lives in the earth. So thank you for that beautiful ritual. You're welcome. Yeah. And I mean, something that I feel called to even like extend into that space, especially as you're leaving your motherland, because th this is your home, is that we so we have our bodies, like I mentioned, everyone <laughs> has their bodies. But something that we are connecting to when we connect to this to the land in this very intentional way is the earth body, the part within us that is this being. Because this earth, this land that we stand on, it's not just a space, it's an organism in which we are a part of, that we are interconnected with. And we remember that no matter where we go, no matter where we are, we are carrying the land with us because we are the earth. Now, when you say that, do you mean we carry the particular ancestral land where we come from or land as an earth as a whole? Both, really. I think as humans, we're obviously interconnected. Everything, everything that we are, you can't subjectively have like an individual man-made human being. We're all made from parts of each other. And also because of our genetics, because of the DNA that we carry within us, 
there is that ancestral land, that ancestral knowledge, and also the future lands. That's where I find the space quite playful and quite imaginative. And the area for for co-creation, it's when we're kind of dialoguing into like, what is the land that we're co-creating together now with human beings, but also with the space around us? What is it? What are you excited about? Exactly. <laughs> you know, when I close my eyes and I connect to the land, the earth, my earth body, and to the space around me, I see multitudes of hands on soil, on the earth. And I think that's really it, right? It's, it's us reclaiming our bodies in a way that allows for the deepest and truest connection with the earth, for true contact with ourselves in nature. I'm so excited to share with you that my number one podcasting tool since day one of this podcast, Zencaster, is sponsoring this episode. I remember when I first started my podcast, it seemed like solving a tech puzzle. But I've been using Zencaster since day one, and honestly, it's made it so easy. It provides crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. What I love about it is that it records separate audio and video tracks for me and my guests. So The editing process is super customized. Plus, they offer secured cloud backups, and I've never lost a single episode. It's super easy to use. There's nothing to download, and my guests just have to click on the link, and we start recording. I recently got to try their automatic post-production, and it's so good. I'm a huge fan of Zencaster. If you're a podcaster or you're thinking about starting a podcast, Zencaster has a special deal for my listeners. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and enter promo code K-S-E-N-I-A, all capitals, my name, to get 30% off your first three months with pro account. It includes unlimited audio and video recordings, hosting up to four guests at once, audio and video mixing, and unlimited English transcriptions. You get a 14-day trial and can always downgrade to the free account if you choose to. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com forward slash pricing, promo code Xenia, all caps, or click the link in the show notes to get that 30% off. It's time to share your story. And I would love to travel through time and space to Bogota, Colombia, where you grew up and take me to what is it that you think you were into as a child that brought you here? And how did you connect with your ancestry then? And how do you connect with it now? I grew up in what I now see as an incredibly, incredibly rich, biodiverse land that having kind of grown up in two spaces, both in in Bogota, in Colombia, and then again, also in in Houston, and then seeing the sort of disparity between the spaces. I I grew up surrounded by green valleys, sort of like the perspective that I think a lot of people in South America might have because we have nature at our, our footstep so much more accessible than a lot of different spaces within America or within Europe and the UK. There's this deeper understanding of like how we are interrelated and connected with the environment around us and with each other. And I remember, I mean, my mom from a very young age would teach me about the plants and how the plants spoke to us, how you speak to God through plants. That's so cool. Shout out, mom. (laughs) I know. Thank you, mom. (laughs) And in truth, she really made me see that my mother was nature and she was my caretaker. Obviously, all of that is also entangled within like our own human conditioning. <laughs> so there was very many d- layers, but, you know, the, her her truest teaching and her deepest gift to me was that, was being able to contact consciousness through the earth itself. And then it was actually, I remember the day that I moved from Bogota to 
Houston. And I felt like I was being separated from my mother. I remember just crying on the plane in so much longing, longing and so much grief. And, you know, life in Houston is very different. It's concrete jungle. <laughs> it was my first landing pad in the USA. So I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. So it was like a really deep, deep disconnection from like what I knew. And um, that was very hard, both emotionally, but also like psychosomatically. I experienced a lot of different kind of symptoms and pains in my body. And it led me to like go into this sort of like unconscious. I sort of went into this unconscious part of myself because I didn't want to feel the pain of separation. And it wasn't until... I was around 16 or so that I really admitted to myself that I did not feel like I belonged when I was surrounded by nature, which is like, if you know me now, <laughs> and if you know my work, it, it sounds surprising because I feel like this is my home and this is where I belong, especially around green spaces and when I am in nature and when I'm around human beings. But that disconnection from the earth and, and from like my environment kind of created that that experience of just feeling like we don't belong and that's that's kind of like the core of the ecological crisis that we're in at the moment we don't feel like we belong in nature because we're experiencing an identity crisis we don't know who we truly are and it's just been a journey back to the earth back to my body. And it was actually going into the psychosomatic pain that arose through the separation that I was able to come back to the earth. And I came back through my body, through feeling into the, that, that deep pain that my body was holding of not being, not wanting to be in my body because it felt so much pain of being separate from where I was. What was that journey of remembering, like, do you remember the moment where you consciously chose it and who some of your first teachers and mentors or maybe books that led you there were? Yes, <laughs> a couple come up. Yeah, I think my path to remembering started when I met my guru and my spiritual teacher, Amma, in, I met her in 2015 in London. And she, is the most incredible being that I have known and reminded me of the earth itself. I would look into her eyes and I would feel like I was a baby in Colombia and that feeling of like, I'm with my mother <laughs> because she is the universal mother. Amma, if you don't know her, she is known as a humanitarian and a saint, but she's also known as an avatar. So an incarnational. What does that mean? <laughs> so I hope I don't butcher this because I know I might, but my um, understanding of what an avatar is, is a human body that has incarnated divine consciousness within their manifestation. And with Amma, she, has, she is the universal mother. She is Kali. And so the most compassionate, most fierce mother, the kind of, the kind of consciousness that the world needs today. <laughs> and she, she brought me back to the earth and keeps me on that journey, right? There's different levels of, of this space. And I feel like I'm constantly learning and constantly like discovering the places within myself that are still unconscious and still in resistance to being on earth and fully, fully immersing myself is like that, <laughs> which, you know, it is a constant journey and it's humbling, but that's the thing that the earth makes you humble. It makes you bow down towards the soil. And that's the only way to serve. That's the only way that I want to serve anyways. Yes. <laughs> I had full body goosebumps as you were explaining it. And it's interesting when you speak of Ama, you talk about her representing this energy of Kali, which is this destroyer. And for me, my experience standing in the line to get a hug from Ama in New York City around 2013, probably, or something like that, I remember she whispered in my ear something in Russian because as I was approaching, I was asked where I'm, I'm from, and I said I'm from Russia. And so she said something in Russian, and it really turned me off because one of my journeys in this lifetime 
is learning to accept myself and my earth body with all of its ancestry and where I come from and honoring it and integrating it instead of pushing it away, which is what some of my choices have been in leaving Russia and moving to the U.S. And, you know, at the time I didn't have the capacity to fully understand it and receive it. I was like, this is not for me. But with time, the more I've gone on different medicine journeys with plants, the more I've understood that this is exactly the medicine I needed to be triggered in this way to see what is it within me that is still not open to love because I'm not accepting a part of myself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like you're going through this journey. And again, for me, like language is very powerful. So there's this word that keeps coming up for me through the work that I do because we are returning to the land within ourselves, the ancestral knowledge that's there, the ancestral earth that we hold through our DNA, through our genetics. And it's this term called reindigenization, which for me has been, again, a process of discovering who I am and not being afraid to show up for my ancestors, for my land, for my community, for myself. Because I think through the years and the way that humanity has evolved, there's been so much pain and persecution that for us to really fully embody this earth body that we are, it requires us to come to terms with that pain. And the pain of all of the relatives and the whole ancestral line. Yeah, I totally hear you. So what happened in 2015, you met Ama and some, a fun fact that I also wanted to bring into the conversation is you were one of the very first people, if not the first one that ever signed up for my conscious social media program when I launched in 2019. So thank you for your trust and thank you divine for connecting us and continuing to nourish this connection. And in 2020 or 2021, I don't remember you took the program again and you were doing it from Amma's ashram in India which I thought was the most incredible thing ever. And every time you would speak and share, you would bring this really potent healing energy with you. So take us on a journey from 2015 when you first met Ama. How did that journey unfold and how is it a part of your life nowadays on earth? (laughs) I love that. Oh man, when you mentioned the ashram, my heart just is in such longing for it because I, I, you know, obviously with the pandemic, I haven't been able to to travel to see Ama or, you know, Ama hasn't even been able to travel, which, you know, has taken me on that inner journey of knowing Ama is always with us. <laughs> but when I met Ama the first time, she kind of, it took me by surprise because it's like falling in love, right? And it's kind of like sort of, crazy infatuation of like I need to be with with this person like I do I don't know who they are but I need to be with them and I need to like I need to just learn from them and I was just finishing my master's and as soon as I finished I went and ended up living in Amma's ashram for about a year and sort of just soaking up the space her energy her love learning and that's also where where I started connecting back to nature and the earth. Um, I was involved with some of the gardening and regenerative agriculture projects that they have in the ashram. So it's been, I feel like, very divinely orchestrated. <laughs> and yeah, I feel like she continues to sort of create the space for whatever needs to arise and to be expressed. and. The journey with nowadays has really come through that, through that sort of deep listening and and service to the earth, service to her. Yeah. (laughs) You so casually mentioned living for a year in an ashram. I didn't realize you had lived there for such an extended period of time. What is that like? What does your day look like when you're in an ashram? And did you continue working? Did you continue staying connected on social media and with your clients, or did you fully just dedicate yourself to being there? 
And what did you eat? <laughs> it depends which which year you ask me, because the, the first time I, I went there, I completely just immersed myself in the space and in the community that was you know, that was there. So, you know, from day to day, you know, you'd wake up in the morning to the temple bells ringing, which was such a beautiful, you know, if you've ever been to India, you know what magical the mornings can be like there. And waking up at 4am every day to do archana, to, to, to chant the thousand names of the Divine Mother inside the temple. Um, and then going into seva, uh, which is just like you're sort of volunteering into the space. And that's kind of where I did my volunteering was within their gardening projects. And then just like really diving into connecting to community and like what that means. Um, I think with Amma's ashram, it's, it's very beautiful. Everyone is sort of there in a very devotional space. So it's beautiful to be able to kind of connect to other human beings from like another perspective that is like about service and and devotion and then we would go into satsangs so spiritual discourses more chanting singing because amma's one of amma's main practices is is it's bhakti yoga so it's really about devotional this devotional expression of uh connecting to to god or to the world around you and the way that she practices it a lot is you know her her form is hugging so that's like a devotional aspect but also through singing through like this like deep longing and singing of for god <laughs> and it's a beautiful practice uh definitely one that I'm like trying to bring into my life every day now as well I'm currently trying to learn the harmonium which has been difficult <laughs> but it's uh, yeah for me for me singing has been like an amazing way to to connect to that like deeper essence of myself and singing devotionally, which is just super powerful. And the way that I, I mean, I have a picture of Amma almost kind of like everywhere in whatever corner <laughs> that I, that I sort of see because it helps me to like really anchor my consciousness into the fact that she is here, you know, everywhere. And it's like, I have to remind that very human part of myself that is still going through all the movements, all the conditioning and releasing and remind myself of the divinity that is around us. See the ama within you as well, Ksenia. Um, so it's it's been a, a very beautiful practice. And I do my chantings, I do kind of my singing, but yeah, I think I'd kind of, I'm going sideways and all over the place now. <laughs> what did it feel like to be in that energy? to be living in that energy and how did you integrate it into coming back to civilization, you know, and to working and thinking about all of those things? I mean, being in that space, because everyone's consciousness is really there in service to something bigger and everyone is there and some, everyone is there in some ways thinking about God <laughs> and it makes the place very holy. Like everyone is in a very devotional mood, in a very prayerful mood. And it makes you feel like every single cell of your body is alive with this presence, with this like beauty, but integrating it back into life is obviously I think where the growth is and where as human beings who who have a path where we can probably bridge that divine consciousness into the collective and to our surroundings because those this world this modern world anyways that we are in it's it's kind of it's very complex it's mixed with our human conditioning so bringing in like that divine spirit through your beingness, through your presence, no matter where that is or where you are at in your journey and bringing that into the space just with like compassion and honesty. I think that's been the best way to bridge both Amma and both the ashram into the world. But within my work itself, like, I mean, the second time that I went to the ashram, I was working part-time as well. So I was trying to like 
I guess trying to lead a very spiritual devotional life while also like, you know, trying to finding see how the best I- Wi-Fi spot. Yeah, exactly. It was very, very difficult. I had this thing called the dongle that you had to like connect and like charge up every day. And like, if you, you know, if you're, if you've ever been to India, you know that the lines are very long. (laughs) So I'm just chanting my mantra whilst waiting for this person to charge up my dongle so that I can have internet. And it's, you know, this whole process around it. But that's also, you know, that's also a beautiful teaching that the fact that you can, no matter what you're doing, you're always you're always bringing God with you. And it's it's not what you're doing that matters. It's not like that I'm sitting at a temple chanting or praying. It's that I'm standing in line and I could be standing anywhere in whatever line connected to source and connected to God. And I think that's that's been the pathway of really like understanding that it's it's how how you're doing things that really matters. And, you know, bringing that into my work every day, trying to show up with full presence, no matter, no matter what that presence is, <laughs> is showing up as an expression of, you know, it could be like pure confusion, lots of laughter, lots of compassion, or like full force. But, you know, being accepting of that, because that's, I think oftentimes there's this, um, there's this duality that we place between, you know, what is, what is human and what is divine. And we forget that we're both. Hey man, this, I love this so much. Hashtag devotional mood, (laughs) bringing devotion and prayer into everything we do instead of focusing so much on the object and the external expression of it. Such an important and beautiful reminder. Thank you for bringing it into the space. And on a more personal note, I'm curious, were you already in a relationship with your boyfriend when you went to the ashram for a year? Because if so, how did you do that? Yes. Yes. Uh, So my partner's name is Enrique. (laughs) He's going to be so embarrassed that I even brought him up. (laughs) Hi, Enrique. (laughs) Yes, we've been together, you know, funnily enough. And this is what I mean. This is like divine orchestration. Enrique met Amo when he was seven years old because his mom is actually a devotee. And we didn't know that when we actually met. And when uh, the first time I went to go see Amma, he, (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm going to go see this lady who hugs people. He's like, oh, I've met her before. I met her when I was like eight years old. My mom took me there. (laughs) So I feel like it's been, and it's been a a very, a very long journey for us. I think what's beautiful is that he just holds so much space for me to discover myself and, and to, to just play. And he, he's one of, he's one of those like annoying people (laughs) where they're just completely spiritual without doing anything. (laughs) And I'm like, I have to go to India, you know, three months out of the year. I have to do my my meditation. And he's like a very sen, sen being without doing anything. <laughs> wow. Shout out Enrique. That's amazing. So when you met Enrique, did you already have your spiritual name Kalpana? I didn't. So funny enough, like he doesn't call me Kalpana, though. That's how I introduce myself. So I always have like this identity crisis whenever we are together because um, he'll introduce me as Alejandra and I'll, I'll introduce myself as Kalpana. And then everyone's like, wait, what is your name and who are you? And I'm like, I ask myself that question every day. So. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it so confusing where you, when you were already in this existential philosophical mood of who am I? And then someone asks you on top of it, you're like, wait, who am I? You know, every time I'm being interviewed on a podcast and I'm being asked, so tell me, what do you do? Typically I have to pause for at least a minute and really tap into who am I today in this moment? And what am I supposed to do? Cause it's always shifting. It's so fluid. Exactly. Yeah. I'm working with this, um, this climate coach at the moment. And I kind of feel like I hit like this nugget of gold because something that came up in our last session, and I always have this, this complexity within me. And I think I, I think it's something that I've shared with you a few times, Ksenia, that I'm like, how do, how do I even share who I am when I don't know who that is? And it continues to change every day. Um, and it's fluid. Like, you know, and how do you explain that to people? And how do you show up as that? And, you know, what's come up for me is this inquiry and this question that I'm still holding space for, which is, 
how can you be without knowing? Yeah, that is so powerful. And this is exactly the place where I've been, as you probably have witnessed me on social media with my podcast, kind of let go of all the brands and the names and just step into me. How can I trust that just me being me and sharing what feels alive and what I'm being guided to be a vessel for is enough in every moment. And it's not as sexy or exciting sometimes as having a super, you know, interesting and memorable brand. But I know for me, at least for this part of the journey, that's where it's at. And I would love to take this conversation into how that journey has unfolded for you. Because when we first started talking, you were offering one-on-one Vortex healing sessions. And then I've witnessed you go through different iterations of your offerings to creating Nowadays on Earth, which is an organization that probably is going to be huge. So what is your journey? What has it been like? What are you learning on the way from one-on-one offerings and healings to holding this vision for an organization and this kind of presence in the world that just creates so much space for collaborations and for speaking and for sharing ecosomatics with people on such a big scale? That's a great question. (laughs) It's really feeling into that because it's been such a journey. And I'm sure you can probably relate to this, Ksenia, because I know that within your work, you always want to be in highest service to what is being called for. And similarly, I feel like that's exactly why things have continued to transform and probably will also keep changing because I want to be present to what's arising moment by moment and be a, a vessel to to interact with it and to birth it or create it or collaborate with whatever is coming up. And what I noticed when I was in my one-on-ones is that for me, like because of because of my heritage, because of the indigenous background that I carry and I'm coming to terms with and getting to know more and more, there was this magic, you know, outside of my work as outside of the energetic practice that I do with Vortex energy healing that kept coming through in sessions. And it was this deep indigenous ancestral healing and wisdom that would just come through for anyone that I would interact with. And, you know, it was coming, it was coming into exploration with that of like, what is that? You know, because it's a deep energetic imprint within my system that is still here in some service to the earth and the world. And so it's been a practice of, of getting to know that and, and hearing it express itself. And through that, a lot of the knowledge that is shared from nowadays on earth stems from that space and it stems from those traditions and, you know, the, the deep wisdom that is, that is held there. And I still do, you know, still practice vortex energy healing. I still bring it in as like a modality, but really when I'm, when I'm anywhere, whether it's, whether it's like a speaking engagement or I'm having one-on-one sessions with people or leading ecosomatics workshops, it's that presence. And we've kind of been speaking to that throughout this conversation together, Ksenia, but it's just being present to what is in the space to what is arising, to what it is expressing, and how do you interact with it? Because it's what we were saying in the beginning, it's reciprocal. And it starts with being open, with listening. And then it's just, it's playful. It's a very playful space to, to be in. But, you know, where, where I think time comes into play is that with time, we're able to understand its language, understand its dialogue, because it's not our normal conceptual language, it's different. And how open we are to that difference, how comfortable we are to, you know, the, the new <laughs> the new way of being and interacting with the presence that's arising, that's a journey for each individual to take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're 
speaking to the shamanic way of being deeply present to the energies that are here. And it is such a beautiful experience to be in your presence because I can feel now that you've conceptualized it, you know, my being has been able to see it through more dimensions of it. And it's such a, a beautiful experience. And I'm curious, when you speak about your ancestry, have you gone back to Colombia? Yes. Yeah. What was that like? I'm, I don't know if you've like experienced body resonance when you're in a space. Um, it's very much like, I think the reason why I also stayed so long in the ashram was in the, in the way that I said, like every cell of my body felt alive. Every cell of my body, when I am in Colombia, when I'm in my motherland, is breathing. It's like vibrating. It's and it makes me present to, you know, the fact that it's, it's always physiologically acting in this way. But there is something about the space and the way that I resonate with it that brings my consciousness to connect to that aliveness in a deeper way. When you said, do I experience body resonance? I'm like, hell yeah. In India, <laughs> it was probably the first time in my life where I experienced it in such a deep way where... It was this magnetic pull as I entered this tiny little, what would you call it? Like a tiny little temple. I actually recently found it on the Google map. And if I wanted to go back, I could visit it. It's in this tiny town in the Himalayan mountains called Manali. And I remember walking in there and this energy just taking over. And I felt such reverence to the presence. I made myself a promise. I'd come back to India to do spiritual things. That was my language at the time. And I did end up coming back. And India is definitely one of those places that has that for me. But more recently in the past three years, I've had a really strong pull to go to Colombia. And we almost planned a trip there, but that's exactly, it was March, 2020. So we went into lockdown that hasn't happened yet, but I'm really holding the intention to go there. It feels like there's such magic to it that I already have been present to. And the way you speak to it is just like this body resonance, like, ooh. The, the thermometer is going off the charts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, obviously traveling, there's such a privilege with traveling and to going spaces. But I, if, if you have the means and you're capable of doing it and your body is, ta- is, is calling out a space for you, I'm always like, go. <laughs> I've had that happen to me, not just for Colombia or India, but in different spaces. And, and it actually happened um, in, for me, like one very memorable one was New Orleans. And I ended up having like a past life regression there of being this kind of, I guess, being within like a, a voodoo, <laughs> within like the voodoo culture and received like a lot of sort of psychic sense, sensory development just by being in New Orleans. So yeah, I'm all, and anytime your body, you know, really listen to that space of wherever it wants to go. Cause I think there's always a development that is, is calling to like be fulfilled. You know, what's interesting. I've noticed that sometimes I'll have that strong calling to go somewhere, whether that's a specific place in nature, not far from where I live or an exotic trip. And I will experience very little on that trip. But as I was preparing for it in my psyche and like all the past timelines that I associate with it, that's where the healing happened. As if I didn't even need to actually physically take my body there because by the time I'm there, all of the intentions have already manifested. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, yeah, 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 no, for sure. For sure. It's like, and this is, this is like timeline collapsing, right? It's like, if we want to get like metaphysical with it, it's like, you know, our experiences go beyond time and space. And it's like all of these timelines start to merge together. And yet they're all happening through you, through this vessel and through this body. And it, and this is part of your evolution. Like this is just part of how your system is developing. And, you know, even if you don't go to that space, if you experience that space, like I said, like we are, our bodies, our land, they are the earth. We hold every single inch of this organism within ourselves. So if you can't get there physically, you can still be there. Yes, yes, yes. I love that so much. So you have a lot of exciting projects coming up. The Forest is Calling, your podcast. What is it that feels most alive and 
what can we look forward to? Yeah, the, over the past six months, I feel like nowadays has been germinating and like um, soaking up the wisdom of of darkness. Say more about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's been going through a process of, of revival um, and also because I'm holding that vessel for it and I'm going through a lot of changes and transformations as well. But what's coming through is a lot of light, <laughs> a lot of green spaces as well, a lot of community, and um, just a way for uh, a way for people to connect back to nature, connect back to their bodies, and find a role and a space of, of belonging, which which you already do, you already have. And th- these are just a lot of fun co-creative ways to to let local communities experience that. For themselves, especially communities that don't have necessarily like easy access to green spaces. And that's really what I'm looking forward to the most is being able to create that that space for people. Does that mean you'll be traveling a lot or some of these experiences online? So some of it will be virtually. I think, you know, because we started nowadays sort of started November 2020 and a lot of what we were doing ended up being virtually, but I'm really looking forward to like extending these practices up in person again, um, especially as things just start getting easier and opening up. So we'll have some in-person workshops. I'm looking forward to doing some really cool things with some local community gardens, both in London and also in Colombia, and just connecting spaces. I'm, I'm really open to to go wherever I'm being called to go because it's important to listen to that. And what is the intention for the podcast and the kinds of conversations that you will hold? So for the podcast itself, we'll be really talking to different sort of environmentalists, activists, um, and exploring, you know, what our relationship to nature is in the digital age. um, And also the social justice and the, intersectionality of issues um, when it comes to access to green spaces and also the need and the need for green spaces, both for us as individuals, but also for the planet. This is so exciting. And the branding and the storytelling within Nowadays on Earth so far has been just so striking and memorable and beautiful in the way and the style of it that you merge super green approach to lush jungle and then, you know, like super neon bright colors for the coats has been so cool to witness unfold. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I feel like nature is my muse in that. (laughs) It's been really fun, very playful. But also, I mean, I think a shout out to you, Ksenia, as well, and the whole conscious social media community. I've met so many great people through there and it's been such an honor to be able to hold dreams together that it's been, you know, kind of like what I mentioned at the, at the beginning, like it's definitely not made by me, one person it's been made by everyone that I've come in con- into contact with. I love that so much. And just you mentioning that reminds me how, how many incredible people I've connected with through the conscious social media program you know, even though I was the one putting together the website and the offering and holding the container, it was really all of us co-creating. And there's so many healers and entrepreneurs and poets who and coaches and guides who have come through that space. And now that I don't offer that at this point, through the guidance of spirit, kind of just shutting down all of those group offerings, it really makes me miss it. And I wonder what's next. And I have a feeling that with my vision of moving to Austin this year, don't know yet when, but that is very, very clear vision. Finally, I kind of got the go from spirit. It's just been on the shelf and now spirit said, all right, now you can go. And so I feel like for me, it will probably be expressed more in person. I don't know what it will be like. Maybe it will be gathering through cacao ceremony or something else or collaborating with other healers, but I'm really, really excited to get back in the game of gathering in circles. It's such a beautiful and profoundly important human opportunity to co-create that way. I'm so excited for you to go to Austin. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, yes, it's yes, such yes. a beautiful beautiful city and yeah one it's of so the different from Houston like, I know <laughs> I'm like if I had if I ever had to like live in America it would it would either like be in Austin or Colorado <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. but it sounds it sounds like such a beautiful journey is unfolding for you as well right now and yeah I guess how to be in the unknown in that unknown space right still mm-hmm. how to be without knowing totally. <laughs> and something I didn't ask you about but I feel called to bring into the space is what does your name mean and what kind of energy does it carry mm, very good question um so kalpana comes from the Sanskrit root word of Kal, uh, which is similar to Sankalpa. If you know the word Sankalpa, it means in- intention. Uh, so Kal, the root of it means imagination. And as a whole, uh, and because my name was given to me by Ama, it means, it has sort of two meanings to it. She dreamt of me before I came into form. So she dreamt me into being. and also just that aspect of imagination and creation. That is so beautiful. So before we wrap up, is there anything else at all that you feel called to bring into the space or share or invite anyone listening into? I guess, well, one, just get out there, like connect to nature wherever that is for you in the world. Even if that's just your body, remember that you are nature as well. and also follow us on Instagram on Nowadays on Earth. Um, we have a lot of updates coming up soon, like a lot, a lot. <laughs> so just get ready for that ride. Um, the website is getting updated, so it'll be up soon. But you can find um, you can find us on our newsletter as well. Um, if you follow the link on the bio, uh, you'll be able to like receive a lot of different downloadables um, month to month. Um, I mean, just can connect deeper through there as well. I love that so much. Kalpana, thank you for doing what you do, for doing it in such a beautiful way and for honoring what the calling is moment by moment. So excited to witness it all unfold and perhaps sit under a tree somewhere in Colombia or somewhere else in the world soon. Mm, I'd love that. I can't wait. (laughs) Seeds planted. This podcast was made on Zencaster. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.